0: You're listening to a message from South Hills Church in Burbank, California. For more information about South Hills, check out SouthHillsBurbank.com. If you want to grow this year and you've been looking for some resources um, as a church, we just wanted to let you know uh, as we make New Year's resolutions, as we want to learn more and grow deeper in our relationship with God or in our faith, we want to grow in our understanding uh, we have a free resource as a church, and you may have seen this. We put it in all of our newsletters. Anytime we send out a, letter on, uh, a newsletter to your email on Fridays, which make sure you get that, um, we sp- attach it in our youth and student ones that we send out. Uh, it's a resource called Right Now Media, and it is just full of thousands and thousands and thousands of videos and sermons and uh, conferences and men's stuff and women's stuff and Bible studies and deeper looks into things. There's a great thing called the Bible Project um, where it just goes into a more of a historical conversation about the Bible. It's really brilliant. It's one of the best things I've ever seen as far as the way it explains the Bible. Uh, But this is absolutely free to you. We've we've purchased it as a church so that you can use this. And so um, I would just encourage you to just check it out. Um, If there's something that you want to grow in, if something you want to learn more, if there's a habit you're trying to form this year, uh, please check that out. So you can go to our website. On our Growth Group page, there's a link for Right Now Media as well as a link on all of the newsletters that we send out. Um, You can just click on it and then follow the prompts, and it'll sign you up. You just create an account sign up for free. They have a great app, so you can actually be a part of it. You can watch stuff anywhere you go. So check it out, please. Uh, That's just a resource that we wanted to make sure that you were aware of. Uh, This morning, we're going to dive into part three of this series. We're going to continue this conversation that something's got to change. And so uh, if you have a Bible or a device and you want to get ahead of it, Um, We're going to be in the gospel of Mark in just a few moments. Mark chapter 10 this morning. We're going to dig into something that I think uh, many of us struggle with, um, especially when it comes to making changes and creating new habits. And that's kind of what we've been talking through these last couple of weeks. And so, uh, you know, people that are like this because we, we all know people that are like this, that they've been claiming that they're, they're going to change. They've been claiming that they're almost ready, whether they're almost ready to do something. They're almost ready to start something. They're almost ready to leave a certain you know, field, a career into another one. They're almost ready to write a book. They're almost ready to finish the screenplay. They're almost ready. They're almost ready to lose the weight. They're almost ready. And what we do is we say we're almost ready. And you know, people like this that are almost ready for years. They've been almost ready for a long time. And I'll be honest, I've been this way in many things in my own life. Uh, I'm I'm almost ready to start. I'm almost ready to get that going. And you have too, and we all do this. And most of the time for us, something usually bad has to happen. There's usually something bad that comes our way. There's some news from the doctor. There's something that happens in order for us to start actually making the change. Uh, Carrie and I have been walking through something even with... Uh, some family, And uh, we've been encouraging this particular family member to, to just do something for like the last five, seven years. Um, we just, hey, why don't you check this out? Why don't you try this? Why don't you eliminate this? Why don't you stop eating that? Why- hey, here's a blog. Here's a, a video. Here's a book. Here's this. And so we've been trying to like guide someone into a certain decision. And, and it's always just been, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll start that. We'll try that. And it never really happens. And then all of a sudden, something, they got some reports back with a doctor, and suddenly the doctor said something, which is exactly what we've been saying for seven years, and all of a sudden, it's like, hey, you know what, guys? I'm going to try this thing that the doctor recommended, and I'm like, hey, did you know that I'm smarter than your doctor? Because I said it seven years ago, and so just so you guys know, that's how smart I am, so you, you get to just lean in on that this morning into all of my wisdom. Anyway, but we all know people like this. What? Something has to happen. Something tragic has to happen in order for real change to start. And so what if we didn't have to go through that process? What if we could learn a better way of creating the right habits? Or in reverse, what if we could learn a way of, of stopping bad habits? Some things that maybe we don't want to continue to do as we move into a new year. And see, the reason why you and I know people like this, the reason why this resonates is because we are all people like this. At one point or another, you and I are experts at stall tactics. We are great at delaying the inevitable. Why? Because we know it's going to be rough. We know it's going to be difficult. We know that there's some pain involved because change always requires some type of pain, whether it's just the pain that we have to physically go through or it's the pain of the embarrassment of failure. There's something that comes along with us taking the first step. There's something that comes along with us actually doing the thing that we said we were going to do, making the change that we said we were going to make. And unfortunately for many of us, we delay so long that we never get around to doing it. And, and they're not excuses, right? You know this. That what you say and what I say, they're not excuses. You know, we're just doing research. We're planning I'm just trying to become more mentally prepared. Like we say all these things that are really just excuses so that we can delay the inevitable. We spend time planning. We write out our 10-step process. We have to buy all the right supplies first. We have, to, we have to go to the store and we have to buy all of the right gear before we can start running because we have to have the running shoes and the socks and the shorts and the shirt and the sweatband and the fanny pack that we say is not really a fanny pack. It's just something we run with that we can put things in around our waist. But it is a fanny pack, just so you know. We, we, we have to buy all the gear and we delay for so long that we never actually do it. See, the trouble is this, that when we get so obsessed with plotting and planning the perfect thing, that we never actually get around to doing much of anything. That's where the trouble lands. It's when we just plan and we process and we gather information and we research and we collect and we buy and we get everything set and we become so obsessed with just the plan that we never actually get around to doing anything. This whole series, we've been pulling some information, and and I just want to remind you that a lot of this is coming from uh, James Clear's book. It's a fantastic book. I would encourage you, if you want to make some lasting changes this year, it's a really great book, extremely practical, easy to read, called Atomic Habits. And he shares so much information. There's a ton of free resources. It's worth buying the book or getting the audible version of it and listening through it. But he talks about this idea, and, I, and I've actually never even considered this until I read it, and it became so apparent that this is what we do. He talks about this, that there's a difference between being in motion and taking action. There's a difference between being in motion and taking action. So let, let me define this for you, and then we're gonna apply some stuff and then jump into the Gospel of Mark. Motion is this it's, it's planning, strategizing, it's learning. They're all good things, they're all good things, but they don't produce results. It, it's, it's doing all the research, it's reading all the recipe books, it's gathering information, it's buying the exercise equipment and the exercise clothes to go along with it. It's motion action is the actual behavior that delivers an outcome. Action is the actual behavior. It's what you actually start doing that produces some type of outcome. This year, you may have made a goal that you know, you're going to finish writing the thing that you started writing. You have a goal. Hey, I'm going to write this thing, or I'm going to start a blog, or I'm going to start writing articles. I'm going to cr- start creating more. I want to be better at this. And all of that is good, but that's all motion. You've pulled all the research. You've read the books. You've listened to the podcast. You've done all this stuff. That's all motion. Sitting down and actually writing is action. Beginning the process. Putting yourself down at a table and removing distractions and actually dialing it in and doing the thing that you said you were going to do. That's action. You may this year have some type of health goal. Hey, I want to lose X amount of pounds or I want to stop eating certain foods. I'm going to avoid the drive through as much as I can. I'm going to cut back on certain things. I'm going to stop drinking sodas. I'm going to stop drinking other things. I'm going to quit this. I'm going to stop eating the whatever it is for you. You may have some health goals that you set out for. So you do what we all do. You start reading articles. You start reading the blog. You watch like a million different videos on Facebook about keto. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try it. It's all motion. It's all motion until you actually start eating better. It's all planning. And planning really isn't getting you anywhere. It's all good. But there's a problem that comes with it. And i and I've, personally, I've never considered this, but it just makes so much sense. And, and James Clear writes this out in, in much more detail in his book. But he talks about this. The problem is that momentum tricks us into thinking we've, we've taken action. Momentum tricks us into thinking we've taken action. Momentum allows us to feel like we're making progress without running the risk of failure. Think about it. Until you actually step out and do it, you are not running the risk of failing because nobody knows you're actually doing it yet. You've just, you're just, you're just reading. You're just researching. You're just gathering information. I'm just making a plan. I'm writing out my action steps Whatever it is, you're just, you're just preparing for it, so you haven't actually taken a step. So motion tricks us into thinking we've taken action without the risk of failure. And because you and I don't like failure, because we don't like criticism, because we don't want to set ourselves up and feel the embarrassment or the feeling in our gut that we get when we don't accomplish something, we fool ourselves into thinking that we're doing something while we really aren't. And so this morning, I want, to, I want to lean into this idea. And what we're going to see in a moment is that when preparation becomes a form of procrastination, something needs to change. And that Jesus is going to lean in. And we're going to read this story from the author, Mark, who's going to write a historical account for you and I to read. He was an eyewitness. And he's going to tell us a story, a situation that unfolds, where someone was just planning And they were procrastinating on actually doing something that something really needed to change in their life. And what we're going to see is that Jesus is going to lean right in. He's not even going to he's not even going to skip a beat. He is going to dive directly into the heart of the issue. Because the man's going to ask a question, but the question isn't really the issue. The question is just to try to find an easy way out. Now, before we dive into that, let me set something up in the story, um, but let me tell you something that's probably going to happen this morning. Um, our kids in Kid Nation are having a glow party today, and so it is, it is insane, and it is the, like one of the coolest things. I'm like kind of geeked out this whole morning. I was like in there shooting laser tags, so um, they have a laser tag arena. They created a whole room into a laser tag arena with smoke machine and lights and glow. Everything glows. It's amazing. It's amazing. And then the whole other room is a party that they're doing this morning. They're doing some art stuff. So if you hear some screaming, especially on this side of the room, if you hear some like beeping, some random beeping, and you're looking around thinking it's somebody's watch or somebody's phone, and you're starting to pinpoint people, like, how dare you? What a jerk. Turn that thing off. It's nobody over here, okay? It's in the room. They're they're just, they're playing laser tag. So anyway, if you hear some screaming, it's all good screaming. It's happy. So we're all good. So Gospel of Mark chapter 10, let's dive into this. The first few verses. There's a, a background in this story that we have to understand. Jesus is traveling around. Jesus is going from town to town. He's moving through the countryside, and he's almost like on tour. You could, you could imagine it this way. Jesus is completing a very successful tour. He's gathered a huge crowd. is following him everywhere he goes because there's healings taking place. There's stuff happening. Nobody can believe what he's saying. They're seeing things they've never seen before. He's explaining the kingdom of God. He's, he's helping them move from a place of just... All Old Testament based rules and what they've always been told to do. He's making it about the heart and he's trying to pull them from rules into relationships. And so it's all different and they're learning something, they're being challenged with something. All of this is unfolding before we get to Mark chapter 10. And so when we find ourselves in Mark chapter 10, something is happening. Jesus is coming into this town in Judea, he's crossed over the Jordan River, and a man runs up to him. Now, the story says that he's a rich young ruler. It's oftentimes uh, he's attributed with this title. We don't really know uh, whether or not he's really young. We know that he's rich, but we don't know if he's a ruler of anything, to be honest. When you read the actual story, when you read it in in the different Gospels that tell this story, there's not a lot of detail that tells us much about the man, other than he had a lot of money. He had a lot of stuff. But it's entitled The Rich Young Ruler. And he's going to come to Jesus, and he's going to ask a very genuine question. This is not one of those situations where somebody was trying to trap Jesus. He wasn't a lawyer trying to trip Jesus up on some technicality of the Old Testament. He wasn't trying to do something to make Jesus look bad. He had a very genuine question. So this is an honest man who's trying to ask a very honest question. And what you're going to see is that Jesus doesn't even answer his question initially. He responds in a way that seems odd, but like Jesus would always do. He's digging down to the heart of something that was really going on. And so we have to read the story, understanding the context. And there's a little bit of inference that we have to make into it. So I I typically, I'll tell you when I'm interjecting my own opinion, just so you know, like, that's not what the Bible says. It's just my opinion. So I'll tell you when that's coming. But what we see in this story is Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse... 17. We're going to come back to it a few different times. We're going to connect some dots with what we're learning about habits. And then we're going to wrap things up with a very practical kind of three things that you need to understand when it comes to habit forming. But in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17, it says this. As he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's an honest question. And Jesus responds, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he goes into some commandments. So check this out. He says, you know the commandments, assuming that the man knew all the commandments, because as a Jew, as a good Jew, you would know all of the Ten Commandments. You've been practicing them. You've been trying to live by them. You've memorized them. You've memorized the entire Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. You have done your best to memorize and learn as much as you possibly could. So Jesus quotes him a few. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, we'll finish that. We'll read 21 and 22 in just a moment. So there's something happening here that we have to pause. Why did Jesus respond with, why do you call me good? That no one's good except for God alone. It doesn't tell us why. It doesn't, honestly, it doesn't tell us why he says this. I think what Jesus is trying to do, this is my opinion, I think what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to dig into something deeper that the man is really asking. He's asking a surface question, but there's something else going on behind the scenes. So think of it this way. The man comes up and he calls Jesus good teacher. And with Jesus' response, he's a little bit taken off guard, thinking, you know, well, I thought you claimed to be God. Why are you separating yourself from God all of a sudden that no one is good except for God? And I think what Jesus is doing is he's he's kind of calling this guy out a little bit. I think what he's doing is he's calling him out. And in one statement, it's like he's saying, look, don't, don't try to butter me up. Don't don't come up here and just say, hey, good teacher. Like I'm gonna somehow let down my guard and, and just throw some random comment back to you. Don't don't try to butter me up. I'm God. I know what you're thinking, I know what you're asking. And you're not here to just acknowledge me as God. That's not what you're here for. You came here hoping to get an answer that satisfies you and is easy. So let's, let's cut through it. Let's cut through the niceties. Let's cut through all of this stuff. Let's cut through the preliminary, and let's just get to it. And so Jesus probably knew that the man was taken off guard at this moment because he didn't answer his question directly. So the man's a little caught off guard with Jesus' initial statement of why do you call me good? Nobody's good except for God. And then he just doesn't give the man a chance to respond. He doesn't give the man a chance to clarify. He just goes into a list of the commandments. Which is just, to me, it's just interesting. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't allow him to just say, hey, well, what I'm really asking you is this. Or, hey, uh, maybe you didn't hear my question correctly. Let me rephrase it. Jesus just goes right into the commandments. Why does he do that? But what you'll notice is that Jesus doesn't end the commandments and say, do these things. He doesn't say, hey, let me give you a list of things that you can do. And those are what I now want you to do. Which is really telling of what Jesus came to this earth for. Jesus came, as we have looked at in other passages of scripture, Jesus came to fulfill the law. Not to add to it. Not to lift up the law. Not to say that the law is what you need to do. Jesus saying, look, I've come to fulfill the law and I've come to bring you something new. It's a new approach to God. It's a new way of understanding God. It's a new way of relating to God. You've lived your whole life based on rules. And I'm wanting you to understand that it's not about the rules. It's about the relationship with God. It's about your relationship with your heavenly father. So Jesus doesn't say, hey, do these things. And he actually doesn't even answer the man's question at this point. He just goes into a list of some things that are connected to the law. So the man is standing here, probably thinking, man, I'm good. Okay, cool. I asked a question. You just told me something that I do. His response is, you know, okay, good. I'm in. I'm done. I'm golden. I've been doing these things since I was a young man. And so convinced is the rich man that he doesn't even stop to realize that Jesus did something that you and I probably didn't realize either. I can honestly say this through 41 years of my life and being in church. I have never, ever seen this in this passage before. In the original language, Jesus makes a statement. Do not defraud. We'll bring that passage back up on the screen. I want you to see it because he lists out the Ten Commandments. He starts listing Ten Commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness, which is do not lie. Do not defraud. Do not defraud is not on the list of the Ten Commandments. Why would Jesus slip that in? I have no idea. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you what I think. I don't think Jesus is trying to get him in a gotcha moment. I don't think he's trying to go, you know, like you would do with your kids, you know, when you know your kids are kind of glazed over and they're not listening or your boss is doing it to you or an employee or someone is doing it to you. When you're having like a conversation and they just get this glazed look and then you just say something that has nothing to do with the conversation just to see if they're listening. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. I think what Jesus is doing is he's he's trying to connect to a heart issue that's happening. Remember, all we know about this man is that he is wealthy. He had a lot of stuff. We don't know how he got his stuff. So an an assumption reading into the story a little bit. There's an assumption that maybe this guy got his stuff by defrauding people. Maybe he got rich off of the backs of others. And he's taken advantage of people over his years. And so he's asking Jesus, Jesus, tell me how to have eternal life. And Jesus is saying, hey, let's not worry about eternal life. Let's worry about the life that you're living right now. Let's worry about what you're doing today and what you've done yesterday and what you're doing tomorrow. Let's see how your heart is. Let's talk about how you're dealing with people. How are you loving people? So Jesus slips in this do not defraud statement in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Why? I think the guy is thinking, sweet, I'm good. He's, he's going to list off the Ten Commandments. And then he just ignores the rest. And so the man thinks he's good. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes back with something else. Now, before we get to what Jesus comes back with and then apply it, we have to understand this. This man has been planning this his whole life. He's been preparing his whole life for eternal life. He's been thinking this whole time that if he could just live according to the rules, then he'll have everything he's ever wanted. That somehow having a good life now and the Ten Commandments was associating and taking his mind to the place that there's an afterlife. And in this afterlife, there's going to be some special grace for me because I've kept all the Ten Commandments my entire life. So he was careful about keeping all the rules. He's been planning and preparing and somewhat procrastinating But his whole life has really just been in motion. And Jesus is going to call him to an action. See, part of the structure of habits is this. The more you repeat an activity, the more the structure of your brain will begin to change to become efficient at that activity. This is just just knowledge from this book, The Atomic Habits. This is an idea that we have to understand. That the more you repeat something, the more frequently you repeat an activity the more your brain will physically change to become as efficient as possible. Because your brain doesn't want to burn calories that it doesn't need to burn. Your brain wants to be efficient. So you've been wired this way. You've been created this way that you will look for the path of least resistance always. It's just human nature. It's the way you're wired. You will always look for the path of least resistance. And the more you begin to do something, the more your brain will try to figure out how to do it more efficiently. And it becomes a habit. There's a term in the book, automaticity, and that is the ability to perform a behavior without having to think about each step. It's when our non-conscious mind just kind of takes over. And you could probably think of habits that you have in your day, things that you do that you don't have to think about doing, whether it's the coffee, when you start to make a pot of coffee in the morning, or it's in the shower, you don't even have to think through all the steps. You just do all the steps. It's what you do when you finish brushing your teeth that you'd like wipe the counter and you do this thing and you put the glass in the right spot and you move this thing to this place. You just wipe everything down or in the kitchen or when you get to work before you turn everything on, you do all these things to your desk to prepare. It's a non-conscious way of building habits that you've done over time. It's not bad. It's just the way that you're wired. It's the way your brain works. And so this man has practiced these things his entire life. The Ten Commandments have become somewhat automatic for him. And he thought that that's what life was all about. But the best way to make something easy is to do it frequently. The best way to make something easy, if you're trying to build new habits in your life this year, the best way to do something, make something easy is to do it frequently. The more frequently you do it, the easier it becomes. And we talk about this at South Hills very, very frequently, that we automate what's important. We automate what's important. The things in your life that are the most important to you, you will find a way and your brain will find a way to automate those things. And so if you look at your life and say, well, my family is most important, but you've not automated time to be with your family. Instead, you have chosen to automate everything at work. What is really most important? Your brain will say, well, work is more important. Therefore, I will now automate work over family. It's the same in in all the habits that we have, in the way that we eat, in the way that we exercise, the way that we take care of ourselves, the way that we work out in our careers, the way that we put our mind to things. We automate the things that are important to us. Now, I think it's interesting in this passage. As you continue to look down the passage, it says, and Jesus, in verse 21, after this man is excited, teacher, I've done all these things for my youth, Jesus looks at him and says, and Mark chooses to use a phrase that Luke actually doesn't use. Luke tells us the same story, but Mark is there, Mark's an eyewitness, and Mark captures a moment that Jesus has. It says Jesus looks at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. It's interesting that Mark chooses to capture this moment that Jesus loved him. The original Greek manuscripts actually use the word agape and the word agape. There's a couple different words for love in scripture that we can come across. But agape is a a deep love. It's a spiritually connected love. It's a godly kind of love. And so when Jesus looks at the man, Mark notes that Jesus looked at him and had agape love for him. A deep-rooted, godly, connected, spiritually kind of love. Now, nothing in the story tells us why. We don't know why he felt this. We don't know why Mark chose to use this piece of information Possibly it's because that Jesus saw the man's heart And knew that he was an honest man He was an earnest man He really wanted to know the answer to the question He was just asking the wrong question And perhaps the man was just a little naive And so Jesus' heart was going out to him Jesus loved him in a way that he wanted to guide him to truth But regardless, Jesus doesn't end it there Jesus calls him now From just motion to action Jesus is going to call the man to a point of decision. And what he's calling him to is a decisive moment. You and I have these every day of our life, multiple times a day. Decisive moments. If I do this, it will lead me to that, which will lead me to that, which will ultimately lead me to the thing that I really want to do. Those are decisive moments. You can say yes, or you can say no. And depending on which answer you give will determine which path you go on. The man could have responded to Jesus with, Yes. Hey, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have uh, treasures stored up in heaven, and come and follow me. And the man could have said, Yes, I will do that. He was in a decisive moment, but he chose to say no. The man disheartened, in verse 22, disheartened by the saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Because the man had a lot of stuff, he looks at Jesus and says, no, I can't do that. You're asking me to do too much. That action is too big for me. I want to stay in the place that I'm in. So his original question really wasn't his original question because Jesus was calling him to action to actually help with something in his heart. And the man chooses to say no and walk away. That there's this internal battle that he's going through, and he chooses in this moment to say no. Now, just think about it for a moment. Before you get to verse 22, we don't know the man's response. And maybe the man is thinking, man, I'm good. This is awesome. I don't need, I don't need to sell anything. I don't need to do all that stuff. I just need to, to uphold the, the, the Ten Commandments. And then Jesus kind of throws one of these uh, statements to him. But I need you to do this. And the man kind of freezes in his tracks. I can't believe I ha- Wait, what? I thought I was good, but now there's this gut-twisting kind of moment of now what? And what Jesus is calling him to is big. He doesn't actually answer his question yet. Remember, the man asked the original question of how do I experience eternal life? How do I find eternal life? How do I experience something after this life? And Jesus hasn't even gotten there yet. So dejected, the man walks away. You'll notice Jesus actually says, you just need to do this one thing. But then he tells him to do three things. Now I'll be honest, I have no idea why Jesus chose three things. But what I do know is that when Jesus says something, his words are calculated. And they cut to the heart. They cut to the issue. So the question is, what, what does the man lack then? The man's asking a question. Jesus kind of gives him an answer. Not really answering the exact question initially. But Jesus gives him something to do, an action step. And the man walks away. What did he lack? What he lacked was resolve. The man lacked resolve. Resolve is this firm determination to do something. He lacked the ability to say, you know what, even though I don't understand why, even though it feels like it's too much, even though it comes across as impossible to do, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to take you at your word, Jesus. Because I came here because I believed in you saying things and you doing things that were different than what I've ever experienced in my life. The man lacked the commitment to truly do whatever it took. And so when Jesus interjects into the conversation, when Jesus comes back to him, he's getting to the heart of the issue, and the man realizes that it's not going to be as easy as he thought it was going to be initially, and he walks away. He lacked the resolve to just do the thing that was going to be difficult to do. See, the man wanted to know that his planning was enough, that all this preparation was going to be enough, that him adhering to the rules and the law was going to be enough. Perhaps he thought that he was always on the right path. Perhaps his, la- his planning led him to believe that he was going to be good. He wanted Jesus just to give him a black and white answer to what he thought was a very clear question. But planning really meant nothing without the resolve to take action. So for this rich man, he had the order of importance reversed. That in this moment, he realized it wasn't about the plan. It was never about the plan. It was always about the goal. It was always about the end goal. And goals can never be realized if we're unwilling to take the first step. We'll never realize the ultimate goal that we have this year. If we're unwilling to take the first step, the difficult step, To put into action all the motion we've had leading up to a decisive moment. We'll never be able to achieve the goal if we don't take the first step. So for this man, it was just overwhelming. It was too much. And he walks away. The challenge was too great. He decided he couldn't meet the challenge. For he had so much wealth. And you may not be able to automate the entire process. You may not be able to automate every step of the habit. But you can make the first step mindless. You can make the first step simple. You can make the first step easy. And the key to everything, the key to this man's step, the key to your step this year, as you you make changes, as you take steps into the right direction, the key to everything is the commitment to just do the first thing. If you and I can just make the commitment to do the first thing, it's the key to everything. You know what? It's not about running the marathon. It's about just waking up in time to put your shoes on in time. It's about just putting on your running shoes. It's about walking out the front door. It's about walking for two minutes, for five minutes, for ten minutes. It's about going to the gym for a little bit. It's about cutting some certain things out of our diets. It's about sitting down at the computer and starting to write out the story that you keep saying you're going to. It's about going back to school and studying so that you can go and get the degree that you keep saying you want to have and the career path that you keep talking about doing and you've been talking about it for years. It's the first step. The key is doing the first thing. It's making the commitment and having the resolve to do the first thing. But the story doesn't end there. I want you to see something in the end of this story because something transpires. So Jesus watches the man leave and because it said that Jesus loved the man... In my thought, Jesus' heart is aching for him. Jesus sees the man turn and walk away disheartened. That his entire worldview was being rearranged and the love that Jesus felt for him probably went with the man. We don't know whatever happened to this man. He never circles back around. We never find out the end of his story. As an optimist, I would love to think that somehow this man walked away and he took some time later on to think about what Jesus said and, and he kinda had his aha moment and the light bulb went off somewhere along the road. I would love to think that some point he caught back up with Jesus and the disciples and, and maybe he sat down over dinner and said, Hey Jesus, remember when you said this thing and I and I walked away? I get it now and I understand what you were saying and I, I sold everything. We have no idea how this man's story ends. But he easily could have made a decision to come back to it later on. But to me, the saddest thing is that the rich man didn't wait long enough to hear Jesus actually answer his question. Because Jesus was going to answer his question. He just wanted to deal with the heart issue first. So check this out in Mark chapter 10, the last three verses, verse 29, 30, and 31. I want to show this to you in the message translation. It's a very modern English translation. Jesus says this to him, in verse 29, mark my words. No one who sacrifices house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, land, whatever, because of me and the message, will lose out. No one who sacrifices everything for me and the message will lose out. What's the message? That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the story of Jesus. They'll get it all back, but multiplied. They'll get it all back, but multiplied many times in houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and land, but also in troubles. I think that's key for the for us to understand. So Jesus says, look, when you give up everything for me, when you go and sell everything figuratively, literally, I don't know. When you go and get rid of all this stuff, when you go and do whatever difficult thing Jesus asked you to do, you're going to receive it back multiplied over. But there's also going to be trouble in your life. Jesus comes out of the gates and just says, look, life is not always going to be easy. Just because you follow me doesn't mean that life just becomes perfect and easy. And you just get to glide through life with a hallelujah chorus and a a bright light on you all the time. There's going to be moments that are difficult. And then he says this, and then the bonus of eternal life. That eternal life wasn't the issue. The issue was whether or not the man trusted Jesus enough to do what he asked him to do. Did he, did he have the resolve to actually put it into action and do it? And then he just threw the eternal life piece on the, on, on the top. Like that was just like the cherry on top of the cake that he's been building. Verse 31, this is once again the great reversal. Many who are first will be end a blast. And the last first. Had the man hung around long enough to just hear the rest of what Jesus had, he would have discovered that if he was just willing to take the first step, if he was willing to do the thing that was going to be difficult to do, if he was willing to face the fear of failure and the fear and the challenge of the pain ahead of him, that he could have gotten rid of everything. And Jesus would have given it back to him multiplied times over. It's the economy of God. It's the way God works. It's the way his kingdom works. It doesn't make sense to us, yet it's true. So if the first thing is key, then try to make the first thing as easy and obtainable and repeatable as you possibly can. So let's look at these three things real fast. What three things you need to know if you're trying to make some changes this year, if you're trying to adopt some new habits, if you're trying to create some habits. And if you're trying to stop some bad habits, what do you need to do? You would just do these three things in the opposite of them. You would, number one, create a commitment device. So this is super practical. Create a commitment device. That just means uh, trap yourself by making it harder to get out of the good habit than to just do it. Make it harder for you to get out of a good habit than just to do it. And you'll force yourself into a place where you just start to do the good habit that you want. What does that mean? If you want to start going to the gym, get somebody to meet you at the gym. Because you and I hate disappointing people. We hate calling out of things. You end up doing it because somebody else is just going to show up. Whether or not you actually go through with doing all of it or you're there for however long you said, just the fact that you showed up is key. Or get dropped off. Get dropped off so you don't have a car and you have no way out of it. You're just trapped there. And so if you're going to be trapped there, you might as well just work out. Cut up your credit card. Don't just say, hey, I'm going to stop spending so much on frivolous things this year. Actually cut up your credit card. Go online and cancel it. Or put it in like a block of ice. Put it in the freezer and you look at it every day knowing that in order for me to get to my credit card, I have to chip it out of a block of ice. And you don't want to do that. Number two, prime your environment. Prime your environment. What does that mean? That means set everything up in advance. Make it as easy for you to do the thing that you ultimately want to do. Take the first step as easy as possible. Lay out your running shoes the night before. Pack your lunch the night before. Meal prep if you have to. Set an alarm to remind you to read your Bible at lunchtime. Eliminate distractions. Uh, If you want to study harder, if you want to be a better student, then study in a room that doesn't have a computer or a TV. Remove the distraction. Remove the thing that's going to pull you away from the good habit. You prime your environment. And then number three is set a minimum. Don't start with the end in mind. Don't start thinking of step 10. Start with step one and make it small and make it manageable and easy to do. When starting something new, it's better to do less than you hope to do than nothing at all. I want to read more. Just read one paragraph every night before you go to bed. And eventually you'll realize that you can read two paragraphs and then that turns into a page that turns into a couple pages. Oh, you know what? I just want to, I want to run this much time every morning. Well, just just start with like two minutes. Start with like a two minute walk. Start with a five minute walk. Just start with something small that's manageable to do. But set minimums. If you want to break a bad habit, you kind of do these in the, the inversion of what they are. You make a create a commitment device, you create a commitment device that will then make it difficult for you to do the thing. You prime your environment by making it difficult to do the bad habit, all that kind of stuff. But really, if we think about it, it's our habits eventually lead to rewards. And next weekend, we're going to talk about how do you and I help keep in mind this reward that's ahead of us? What are we doing all of this for? How do we allow the reward to motivate us for real change this year? See, the idea isn't to just do easy things in life. The idea isn't just to make everything easy. It's to find a way to make it as easy as possible to do the right things. And if you and I can figure this out this year, if we can find a way to make the right thing easy, I think we're going to be on the path, moving in the direction that God has for us, individually and collectively. So let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for how much you love us how much you care for us. Thank you for challenging us and encouraging us this morning. And God, I just pray for those in this room this morning that are trying to make some changes this year. There's some habits that they know they need to break. There's some new habits they need to begin. God, would you give them the resolve, the determination to do it? Would you help them to just see that they just need to start somewhere? Just begin the process, to not wait for everything to be perfect and as, as hard as it is for some of us to not to not have to have the whole plan laid out ahead of time. Would you help us to just start, begin doing something? Because something is better than nothing. God, would you help us to just this year create some great habits to eliminate some negative habits that have been pulling us in the wrong direction? And God, we're so uh, quick to say thank you. Thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for the way that you show us that you have greater concern for our heart. Then sometimes the questions that we have that keep us from moving forward in a relationship with you, that you care about our hearts, you care about who we are today and who we're becoming tomorrow. And so I pray for those of us in this room that have never begun a journey with you. We're still waiting for life to become better. We're trying to fix everything before we come to you. Would you help us to realize that saying yes to you is about understanding our faults, understanding our weaknesses and trusting you that you will guide us through it, and that we have a church family to help walk us through it together. So God, help us to say yes to you and move closer to you this year. God, and we just thank you for this opportunity to give back to you as we prepare for our offering this morning. Jesus, thank you for just loving us, for being generous towards us so we can be generous back to you. God, it's an honor that we get to be a part of your bigger mission and plan for your church. So thank you for this privilege it is to give this morning. It's in your name we can pray and everybody said it. Amen. Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message. We hope that you've been blessed and encouraged by it. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated on all that's happening at South Hills Burbank.